Our study today is going to come from Genesis 39 because it's the only place in the Bible that I think I can close this series out with an example for you. This study is designed to help you think through an important but simple principle. How in the world do you do this? How? This is a how-to sermon. How does a person avoid becoming bedroom blinded? How does a person manage your sex life? How do you say no? Now, if we're going to be really honest, everybody understands this. Everybody's been bitten by this in some way. The problem is, in church, a lot of times, you just can't be candid. With Christians, you can't just say, hey, here's where I am. I really believe you have to understand your financial attitude. You have to understand your relationship attitude, your sexual attitude. Your, you have to understand your, your business attitude. You have to learn yourself. When you meet somebody, you may know their public attitude, but you don't know their personal attitude because you haven't been around them enough. You don't have enough data to put that together. Their brother or sister does. They're, once you know a person, you can tell, you're not telling the truth. Come on now. You know you're faking right now. A person who knows you knows a lot of dimensions about you. And this is one of the things that's really dangerous. When you see a person and you judge solely by their physical appearance, their personal attitude or their sexual attitude or their religious attitude, you don't really know that until you interact with them. As you interact with them, those attitudes become more clear to you. And you start saying, oh, okay. This person looks very conservative, but they're not. Oh, this person looks very, very out there and open, and they're not. They're very shy and shameful. They, they're, they're very reclusive. There are a lot of people who've married people, and they were stunned that when they got to know their sexual attitudes or their relational attitudes or their financial attitudes, they were totally different. And it's not that the person changed. You just became informed. And what's really interesting is sometimes they don't even know it because they've never probed that area of their life. Until you get into business, you don't know what kind of business person you are. Until you engage in certain areas of life, you don't understand exactly who you are. And sometimes you think you're stronger than you really are. And what's really sad is in church, you know, you, you, you quote a couple of Bible verses, you know, I got the power of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and you quote a couple of verses and dance around a little bit, and you think you, go, you got it all figured out. You don't. You think you know what being a pastor is like? You don't have a clue until you get into this job and you deal with it for about 10 years. Then you kind of start figuring it out. It takes five years to, for a congregation to get to know you. And the average guy leaves in four. You don't even know them. They don't even know you. It takes a long time to get to know people, to walk in the comfortable shoes of relationship and figure things out. It takes a while. You don't, you don't become a blended family and you got it all figured out in five minutes. I'm sorry, you don't love them like your kids right away. I apologize for shocking you, but you don't. And they don't love you like you think they do. We're learning to love each other. We're learning to be friends. We're learning to be together. There's a process. And when it comes to your intimate life, there's so many seasons in your intimate life, in your sexual life, when you're, when you're a teenager, when you're in puberty, when you're 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, you're a kid. I thought all the knobs were cut off by that time. <laughs> but your attitude evolves. 
And I think what's really tragic is sometimes people don't really understand that blindness can go from all through all the ages. You can become a person who doesn't understand how to manage this area of your life, no matter how old you are. But what I thought I'd do is show you a good example. I changed around the clothes. I decided, look, Temple, just tell them what to do. I can deal with a whole bunch of other stuff, but I'm not. Save that for another day. Let me give you some practical steps you can take, help you avoid becoming bedroom blinded by your sexual passions. There are two parts to this sermon, pretty simple. And I want you to repeat them with me, please. And, and I want you, well, really, to be honest, there's more than two parts. There's, there's five. There's five answers that I'm going to give you, four, five, four answers, I'm sorry, to, to the question, how to avoid becoming bedroom blind. In Joseph's story, in Genesis 39, he is the only guy that can answer this for us. There is no story in the Bible that goes from the beginning of a temptation to the end like this story. Not like this story. And there's the only sexual temptation story in the Bible, the only one, like this. That's this open, just transparent, and it, it shows the dialogue in the temptation that's really helpful. And so I want you to look at Genesis chapter 39. I want you to look at verse 1. And I want you to notice the first thing that a person does who wants to be, who wants to avoid rather being bedroom blind, is you must be privately consistent. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. Be privately consistent. That's one of the four. If you're not privately consistent, nothing works. Your public statements mean zero. Now, I want to show you Joseph's life. There are three observations I want to make about his life that were impressive to me. First of all, Joseph was unfairly sold into slavery. Verse 1 of Genesis 39. Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites. Now, please understand, <clears throat> Joseph was sold by his brothers. You can read in chapter 38 of Genesis. Because his brothers were angry with him. They didn't like him. So they sold him. Horrible. They sold him. They sold him to the Ishmaelites as a teenager. Now, this is a kid that could be very bitter. Then the Ishmaelites sold him to Potiphar. So this is the second time on the, on the, on the cell, cell block. But in spite of that, he had an incredible attitude. You can use Joseph as a great example of staff. This was a guy who was, secondly, an excellent employee. Now, if you, if you hire people, you get this. You know, if you never had to pay people and never had payroll, never, you, you don't fully get it. But when you do, getting people to work and do what they're supposed to do is amazing. Joseph could have came on the job with a chip on his shoulder and an attitude problem, but notice what the Bible said about him. The Lord was with Joseph. Read that with me, please. Come on. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. Pause right there. He was a successful man. Even though, he's, even though he's in an unfair place, he's not on the job he likes, he's not in the place that, that, that he should be in, none of this is fair, but even though he's on this job he doesn't like, he's successful, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. He stood out, he looked blessed, whatever he did prospered. If Joseph was over the phones, the phones were answered better. If Joseph was the guy in charge of, of the pharmacy, the pharmacy ran better. Wherever Joseph was, it worked better. Inside and outside, you'll see in a minute. 
That made him stand out. I wonder, are you that kind of employee, by the way? This is a sidebar question. I wonder, would you be the kind of person that we'd say, because you're there, the school's better. Because you're there, the office is better. Because you're there. A lot of Christians think because you're saved, it's better. Wrong. You can be saved, sanctified, and a horrible employee. <laughs> and probably because a lot of times, religious people, especially, you have this self-righteous thing. The self-righteous thing that can really get on you and that can really, uh, it just reeks. And people, when you come and you smell self-righteous, you smell like a holy person who knows everything about God and you're always talking about Jesus and you're always just kind of dabbling in and you just, you just, you can't control yourself. You just, it's out of control. I was talking to a guy the other day, he's a nice guy. And I, I could tell he just, just, you know, I just want to let you know I know Jesus too. It's good. I'm not saying that's anything wrong with that, but... What makes him a great employee is not his public confession of God, it's his lifestyle. He comes to work on time. He does his job. It's amazing. Number, verse 4, Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. I want you to note that. He did what? Serve. No, I want you to say, what did he do? Serve. One more time. Sit up with me, please. Come on. Serve. Do you do that on your job, but wonder? Do you serve them? He served him. One more time. He did what? He served him. There's something about that. Would they consider you a servant? He served him. And then he made him overseer. Because he served him, he made him overseer. The reason sometimes they won't promote you is because they don't view you as a servant. You may be efficient. You may be, you may be smart, but you don't have a servant heart. And so for them to have you in charge, sometimes they don't want to promote you to be in charge because they feel you don't have a servant's heart. Now, you can argue with that all you want, but that's, notice, it's not your decision. Oh, this is so good. It's not your decision. It's the boss's decision. It's like one day when you're the boss, guess whose decision is going to be? It's going to be your decision. And so you're not going to be a great boss if you can't be a great servant. So I want you to notice this guy. Watch this now. He said that um, he served him in verse 4. Then he made him overseer over his whole household and all that he had he put under his authority. So it was... From that time that he made him overseer of his house, that all he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian. Wow. And he blessed him for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house. Verse 6. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he did not know what he, what he had except for the bread which he ate. He didn't know how much money he had in the bank. He didn't check his 401k. He didn't check anything, people. Only Joseph knew. Never looked at the balance sheet, the profit loss, the cash flow, none of that because Joseph knew everything. Imagine that. Joseph knew everything that he had in the house and in the field, verse 6. Then, thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. He did not know what he had, verse 6, or what he, except for the bread which he ate. Joseph, now, now, now notice this. This is the last addendum. I thought it was really cool. Joseph had one big final thing said about him. He was good looking. <laughs> here's a guy who was sold unfairly into slavery. Here's a guy that was an excellent employee though, but here's a guy that the ladies talked about. Joseph was good looking. He was handsome in form and appearance. Everything looked good. When Joseph, <laughs> when Joseph walked by, he said, mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> I mean, he, he, I mean, I mean, really, he just was, he was a knockout. I mean, they just, and, and let me tell you, verse 7 shows you an incredible moment here. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife 
and mm-hmm too. <laughs> His master's wife was casting longing eyes on Joseph and she said, not, now she bold, she didn't beat around the bush. <laughs> she didn't try to fix it up. She said, come on, let's go to bed, boy, come on. Let's go to bed, lie with me. Right away, right out of the box, no apologies. I ain't faking, I want you to now. Now I want you to think about this. This woman is bedroom blind. A lot of times you're not clear. Women can be bedroom blind. This is, this is, men, both can be. There's something about understanding bedroom blindness crosses all gender, all ethnic boundaries. It crosses all of it. All age limits. I mean, I, when I was a young minister, I was in the church and, and I was about 19 years old. You know, I started preaching pretty early on 17 and then this, this, this church I was in, I was always planning stuff, always organizing stuff, you know, it's <laughs> amazing. But it was 19, I planned this trip for the church. It's about 100 people. It took about 100 people to this camping trip. I love camping, you know. I haven't convinced my family yet, but I do. I love, I do, man. I'm, I, don't, I'm, I, I just, hallelujah. Uh, don't get me started. But, but anyway, I, I planned this camping trip, and so we went um, to this place, and I had, you know, probably, you know, um, I had uh, all the ministers in one, one cabin, and I had um, the, the older women and the young women in, in a cabin, sat, you know, back to back. So, um, they were in the room and the cabins and the older women started talking, adult talk. And so the younger women started hearing the older women because the walls were real thin talk. And so they said, you know, you know, teenagers, shh, quiet, quiet. And they, they started leaning on the door and on the wall and they heard them talking, uh, bedroom blind talk. And, uh, and they started laughing. You know how teenagers are, they started laughing. And then the older people heard them and laughing and went over there and said, are you listening on grown people conversation? They said, we know y'all talking about fornication. That's all we know. And the young people said, don't be smart with us. So they came and got me. The older people came and got me and said, man, they call me Minister Temple. Minister Temple, these young people, in here being in grown people business over here. And I said, well, what was the problem? And the young people said, they talking about sex. <laughs> That's what they said to me. So I said, I said, oh, okay, praise God. Let me go get the pastor. I wasn't the pastor then. <laughs> I, I went and got the pastor and said, all right, pastor, here's the deal. Here's what happened in this, your church. Go for it. <laughs> and I left it alone. I knew nothing. I was it. That was a good place to be. Just call the pastor. Come on, say amen. That was a great place. Bedroom blindness crosses all, all age limits, all age boundaries. And you, you may think it doesn't, but it does. Joseph was an incredible man, though, who modeled something for us. Even though he was good looking, even though he was a guy who was extremely good looking, he privately was consistent. And you're going to see that in a moment. I can't make you consistent. That's something you have to privately be. Even when it's tough in his life, he had a history of being consistent. Notice the second thing that made him, I think, stand out and helped him avoid bedroom blindness is he was firm about his boundaries. Say it with me. Say, be firm, be firm. about your boundaries. The first thing I want you to understand is you've got to be privately consistent. And secondly, you've got to be firm about your boundaries. You have to just simply refuse. And nobody can force you to do that. Nobody can say to you, hey, listen. 
uh, say no. You have to say no on your own. No sermon. I can preach conviction into you all I want. But at the end of the day, and I don't really think I can preach conviction into you, I think it's something you have to embrace. In verse 8, I want you to listen to how he responded when he was approached by his, his master's wife. He refused to passively say no. He spoke directly to his temptation. I want you to notice that. He, when, he, when she said this to him, he didn't blush. He didn't act like that, that was the passing you know, comment. He, did, he spoke. Listen to what he said. He refused and said to his master's wife. He spoke to her. Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. And he has committed all, say with me, he's come on, all that he has to my hand. Notice that. He's given me everything. Now, he's, he's lecturing the man's wife. Listen to what he says. He says, there is, there is uh, nothing. There's no one greater rather in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you. Because you are his wife. I mean, this is a strong guy. I'm, I'm liking this. You know, he's young. He's in his 20s. He's a young guy. Watch what he says. He said, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? I, I can't do that. I, I mean, I, I can't do this. I, how can I do this great wickedness? Notice how he, how he responded. First, he refused. Secondly, Notice he was loyal. This man has given me everything. He does this privately when no one's around. No one's there to, look, listen to this. There's no sign that Joseph had a mentor. There's no sign that he had any self-help books. There's no sign. This is a guy who privately has made a decision. I'm going to be loyal to you. Are you that way with your boss? Are you that way on your job? Are you loyal? Are you in the break room talking down to everybody? I mean, it's amazing. They hired you to talk about them. That's really great, right? Now, it, uh, they may be wrong, but notice how, how loyal he is. He's, and he's not telling anybody else but her. He's speaking to the source of the temptation. How could you, how could you say you love me and you come in here and you tempt me? Every, every week, you're over here drooling over me. Come on, you see what I'm trying to do, right? Why are you doing that? Why are you, why are you coming to the water fountain every time I come up here and you're smiling at me because you know you're good looking? Come on, back up. Give me six feet. You know, you make me weak. I can't take it. You, you want to wreck my life, my family? My, what do you want me to do? Notice his response. He speaks directly. He refused. He was loyal. He knew, catch this now, his sexual boundaries. You are his wife. I should not cross that boundary. I have no right whatsoever to, to in any way, be in any kind of intimate relationships, texting you, talking to you, even encouraging you. No, I'm not, I'm not called to you. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not supposed to help you. I don't care if I'm saved or not. You're not my assignment. Why am I, why am I engaged with you? Why, why, why am I thinking this is not Jesus? And if I can understand, I'm across the boundary. Some of you on the other side, you need to jump back right now. You need to, you need to delete the number, block it, whatever you have to do, because you are, you are out of line. And what you have to do is admit that you are crossing a boundary. And here's how you know it, because you like them. Something lights up when they walk by. You feel this good thing. Well, Pastor Rick, a lot of people, I light up on a lot of people. Well, you need to block a lot of people then. You need to block a lot of people. <laughs> 
you across the boundaries. You need to grab a hold of yourself. I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to say become prunish and, and sensitive. And, and, and as a boss, let me tell you, I really, I really think this is so important. You know, you gotta, you gotta hire beautiful people. You can't go through the interview process. It's too fine. You're out. <laughs> nope. <laughs> you can't do that. You can't be mean. You can't treat people that way because they look good. Here's the point I'm making. You just have to know where your boundaries are. And so all of a sudden, they come to this moment. This guy, he knows his boundaries. He refuses. He's loyal. He knows his boundaries. And he viewed it. This is important. He viewed it as wicked. In his mind, this is a crime. And he told her, this is wrong. I don't want you to be ever confused. And this is, I want you to be, from the first conversation, this is not number two, this is the first time. He speaks to her and says, no, listen, this is wicked. If you philosophically do not believe this is wrong, you will never, ever stop. And that is the problem for a lot of people. Your philosophy, your philosophy affects everything. What you, what you believe to be true. And I can tell what you believe by your calendar. I can tell what you believe by what you do every day. I can tell by what, how you spend your money. And a lot of times we deceive ourselves. You don't believe in saving because you don't save. You don't, believe in, you don't believe in a lot of things. I think our church, honest to God, if you believe in fundraising, and I do now, raise your hand and say, I believe in fundraising. Come on. Oh, y'all weak on that one. Look at that. That's weak. Oh, that's sad, man. I'm telling you right now. I'm telling you. That's a broke church hand. That's just a broke church. That's, that's a broke group of people right there. I'm serious. Come on. How many of you, your, does your family believe in money? Raise your hand if your family believes in money. Uh-huh. See? You still didn't raise it strong enough. See? You got to say, oh, man, yeah. Praise God. We believe in money. We believe in prospering. We believe in being blessed. We believe in giving. We believe in serving. We believe in praying. You know, you got to be eager. Come on, say amen. We now, let's, let's try it again. How many believe in giving? Come on, say amen. There you go. Praise God. See? It's when a group of people believe in it and they do it like that, then it's not a problem. When it's time to raise funds and do something for God, you got to say, well, hey, I'm in that. What we doing? What we doing? What we doing? Tell me what we doing. Tell me how we're going to do that thing. Everybody ought to jump on board and no problems, tithing. You got to say, oh, I'm into that. Praise God. I know honoring God first. Honoring God first. There's some, I believe, in exercise. What days you work out? Monday, Wednesday, Friday. When you work out days? You got to name them. Or you don't believe in it. It's not on your calendar. You're lying to yourself. I believe in working out. You've been looking at that stuff in your house for long. How long? <laughs> what you ought to do, just go walking. Start slow. Give yourself goals you know you can accomplish. But put it on the calendar. There's something about that. So this guy, he, he believes this is wrong. It's on his calendar. He does not believe that sleeping with her is the right thing to do. And until you change your conviction about that, I can preach to you all day long until you think it's wrong. And then lastly, he viewed it as a sin against God. And I like that. This is not about me and you. It's about me and God first. Now, that's an important distinction. He's not just cheating on your spouse. You know what you're doing? <laughs> you're cheating on God. You're cheating on God. You're cheating on who? God. This is about God. And so once you understand that, you get it. Now, here's what's interesting. I grew up in a bedroom blind family. I understand that. And I, when I say that in the sense, I mean, I was raised to have values and morals and all that. But, but, but I, I, I can't sit here and say, I don't know anything about this. This is crazy. I can't sit here and throw rocks and act like I'm, I'm, I'm unfamiliar. No, I'm very familiar. I, I get this. 
And that's why I can say Joseph is a light to all of us. Because Joseph shows us things that sometimes we ignore. Notice what he did. Joseph refused to just passively say no, privately. He refused. He wanted to talk directly to her. Secondly, he refused repeated opportunities. How many times can you say no? The Bible said in verse 10, so it was that she spoke to Joseph how often? Day by day. Some things are temporary. You're going to have to learn how to be tempted all the time. You're going to have to learn how to manage temptation when it comes at you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And starts all over again on Monday. There's something about being really clear that this is an ongoing challenge. And it doesn't mean that you know, you're bad. It doesn't mean it just, it's just part of how you're wired. As a matter of fact, let me just say this to you. The reason is, it's a temptation for you because you're wired to be sexual. God put the wiring in there. So, well, that wasn't fair. No, it is. Because God, God defines it as a wonderful experience and a wonderful gift. It's a gift from God. The problem is you abuse it. And you, you, you create something that God never intended for you to create. There's a series, series we're going to be start in the next month. Um, it's called Taking Charge. And you'll see the note on the bottom of the sermon notes. I talk about it. And it's called Taking Charge of Your Life, Taking Charge of Your Plans, and Taking Charge of Your Purpose. And one of the things I'm going to talk about in, those, in, those, in, those series, in that series, those series coming up, I'm going to talk about the flesh, taking charge of your flesh. And you should walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. And I'm going to talk about how, how important it is for you to do that. No one can do it for you. There's something that happens when you as a person come to that realization that you have to say no to this. I refuse. I'm not going to let my flesh control me. This guy refused repeated opportunities, repeated chances. He said no. And then, even if it cost him his freedom, he refused. Matter of fact, his refusal led to imprisonment. Notice what happened. It was in verse 9. Verse 11, under number two in your notes. It happened after about this time when Joseph went to, his, to the house to do his work. And none of the men, do you see that? None of the men was inside. This is verse 11 of chapter 39. None of the men were inside. She gave everybody the day off. She got tired of waiting. She said, listen, today is the day. It's over, dude. Today is the day. And she's all riled up. And she, she, the Bible said that she grabbed him by his arm. She caught him, verse 12, by his garment. Now, now, she didn't grab him by his arm. She grabbed him by his clothes. Might have been trying to take him off. Come here. She grabs him and said, lie with me. You know, she, she ain't got no tact. She just say stuff. She just... <laughs> and so, what the Bible says he did was incredible. He left his garment and fled and ran outside. He, did, he, ran, he just ran outside. He just ran outside. He ran outside. And imagine, he's standing outside, coat off, and, I mean, it's horrible. And, and, and what she does is she gets mad. Now, this shows you the kind of person she is. All she had to do was let it go. It's all right, well, okay, you really mean that, don't you? you know, no, she didn't care. She didn't care. I don't know whether she looked at him as a slave, you're my property, you do what I want. You know, some of that could have been in there, whatever it was. He said, I don't care what you say. No, I'm not doing that. That's a sin against God, against your husband. I'm not doing that. And so she flips it and says to everybody, he tried to assault me. He, this is amazing. 
he, he, has, he has tried to assault me, so they put him in prison for years. In this moment, you see something that's profound. This is a guy who said, I'm not, I'm not willing to give up my boundaries no matter what. He had firm boundaries. If I lose my job, if I lose this opportunity, if I have to go to prison, I will not do this. That's a strong conviction. The third thing you have to do if you want to avoid this is not only make sure that you avoid the boundaries and keep your boundaries, you have to be honest about your limits. I'm going to jump out of Joseph's story for a minute. I want to use, if I can, a story that I think is just profound. It's a text in Proverbs chapter, chapter 6, verse 27. It's been my lifelong favorite. Here's what the text says. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her shall not be innocent. Can a man take fire in his bosom and not be burned? Can you really put that in there and not be burned? Can you really take those kind of risks and not be burned? I've said this through this whole series. If you do one and two, three will happen. Say it with me, please. Come on. If you do one and two, three will happen. All you have to do is answer the phone call and go by. That's one, two. Three will happen. Over and over again, that's why you can't be free, because you keep doing one and two. And you don't want to admit that this is one and this is two. It could be as simple as answering the phone. That's one, for some of you, that's one and two. And you have to be honest about it. One and two equals three. If I keep doing one, two, I'm going to do three. And if my history is true, and if I, if I can just for a moment say, ah, based on my history, I don't need to go over there. We need to meet in the mall. Based on my history. See, but you, you don't want to seem weak. And you're not, it's not about being weak, it's being normal. I'm a normal person, and a normal person put in those circumstances ends up doing something they don't want to do. And the only way I'm going to avoid this is run outside. I have to run from this. I can't walk away. It's the only thing in the Bible the scripture says, flee fornication. Run from this. There's something, there's something so strong, and it doesn't matter, marriage or not married, believe me, forget that. That doesn't stay, stop you. And a lot of people don't understand this. They think, well, you know, I'm married, and so I should have been enough. And it's not about that. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than you being enough. It's more than that. It's personal conviction. It's a private thing that the person believes. I privately believe this. And so based upon my private, consistent values and views, I have set firm boundaries. That's, it's about the person. And that's why you can't own it. You can't own your, your mate's mistake. You can't own, you have to simply say, okay, let's, let's, let me back up here and let me look at myself and let me ask myself, am I really being honest about my limits? Why burn yourself? Why am I doing this to myself? Why don't I just stop? You can't walk on those coals. You have to admit, that's a hot coal for me and it burns my feet. It burns my values. And you can't always explain this. And this whole idea of being strong in the Lord, don't, don't fall for that. You'll, you'll, you, well, that's, that's one and two. I'm strong in the Lord, so I can go. No, you can't. Don't trust yourself. The heart is desperately wicked. I mean, you'll fool yourself. 
You'll talk yourself into it. Because you have to understand, your, your body, your emotions want to. And you know, it's hard for Christians to, say, to admit that. I mean, it, it, it can happen to anybody. It, listen to me. It can happen to anybody. I, I'm telling you, it can happen to anybody. How about you, Pastor Rick? Yeah, if I do one and two. <laughs> Pastor Rick, are you serious? Oh, man, yeah, one and two. That's all I have to do, I, whatever my one and two is. And that's why some of you right now, God's speaking to you. One is going by that office. One is, one is two is, you know, I don't have to tell you, you know what they are. For some of you, the internet is the one. You need to put the computer in the middle of the house and say, I ain't looking at this thing unless somebody's in here with me. Because for me, that's one. One is opening the computer. Two is cutting it up, is typing anything. And you just get, it just pulls you in. And every now and then, you got to pause and say, this is where I am. Am I weak? It's more than that. Don't, don't get caught up in that. Here's what, imagine a, a big pot. And I'm going to talk about this, as I said in this series later, I'm going to talk about walking in the spirit. Imagine your, 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 your sex life being a pot. And, and imagine it's, 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 it's full and bubbling and percolating. God intended for you to have strong passions. It's a gift. But he didn't mean for you at 10 years old to be figuring out who you're going to love and 12 years old crying because your heart's broken. What happens is we stir this pot too early. And so this pot begins to percolate too early and it boils over and gets out of control and you don't have any clue of how to manage it. You understand at 44 that at 12 you couldn't manage this. That's why you don't give a 12-year-old car to drive because you understand they shouldn't be driving a car. Not at 12. And here you got, you, I, I, saw, I saw a young girl, you know, I like going out of town because I can look at people. And, and there's a bunch of bedroom blinded looking dressed people walking down. I saw a young lady, she, I said, that's a bedroom blind outfit right there, darling. That's, that's, that <laughs> gee whiz, everything's showing. What in the world, why in this cold, why are you doing that if it's cold too? That's really a sign. If it's cold and you ain't got nothing on and you out there, you bedroom blind, baby. You are blind. You can't, you freezing. <laughs> you shaking. And then the young man, he bedroom blind. He's standing there in the middle of the, now I got to be careful how I say this. He's standing there in the middle with his hand in the improper place. I'm saying, well, what, what are you doing? <laughs> And she looking blind and you looking blind. Everybody blind. I said, y'all pitiful. Every now and then you just want to stay in the center and say, what in the world are you doing? Don't you see how lost this looks? And it's really sad because here's what happens. You ready? In the end, you become disqualified. I want you to follow me in the line. Ready? Number one. How do you avoid it? Number one, say be privately consistent. Come on. Come on. Say number two, say be firm about your boundaries. Say be honest about your limits. And here's ready. Be honest about the consequences. This is not designed to make you think that this is all wrong, that, that God wants you to think sex is wrong and that intimacy is wrong. No. 
This is not a guy going on some campaign against love songs. This is not a guy going on some campaign. I'm simply saying, you have to understand, if you don't approach this with responsibility and understand what a friend of mine said to me, that my seed, everything that God's given me, is, is, is part of my family's in there, everything, and I, I'm not supposed to be distributing myself all over the world. Amen. That God didn't want my grandparents and me. I don't want to just travel all over the world. I, I, God, God has a specific place and a specific purpose for me and my seed and my life to be. It's a very important decision. It's not some casual thing. And what we've done is made it so casual and so, and it's really, the consequences are incredible. And I want, I want you to hear what Paul said. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. He said, but I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection, at least when I preach to others. I love the way he said that. You've preached, you've sung, you've danced, you've preached to others that I myself should become disqualified. What are you going to be disqualified from? What are you going to be disqualified from? Because you're bedroom blind. So you, you get to be a pastor of a church with people. Do you get to have the young women in the church? Because you can't be, understand this, you can't be trusted. If you're a bedroom blind person, you cannot be trusted. Men have come up to me. And um, some brothers I'm thinking of in Atlanta, they say, hey, my, my, my kids, I do a lot of work you know, in that area. And, and he said, hey, man, my kids, are, my daughter's coming to, to Georgia Southern, coming to Savannah State, coming to Armstrong. And I, I, want, I, want, I want to connect her with you. Am I safe? Am I somebody that this guy can trust? He wants to give her my phone number. Oh, boy, that's a risk. Should it be? No, it shouldn't be. And I want you to understand, if you're bedroom blind, you can't be trusted. Anybody could be a victim. Your students are a victim. You're so love-starved. You see so many, it's tragic. You see these stories, and you disqualify yourself. God has a meeting in heaven saying, I can't, I can't, I can't use him. I, I can't, I can't bless him. I was in Rio de Janeiro, and I was, I was up, I was up, um, I've told the story, and I'm going back to Brazil in a few weeks. But I was, I was in Rio for the first time, and I never will forget. I was, I was there, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and you'll meet Jonathan next week. We were walking out of the hotel, and, and two ladies of the night walked up to us. and said, you're Americans? <laughs> See, you can look around now. Nobody's here. I'm in Rio. Who knows me? went, yes, Sam, have a good day, ladies. That could have been our secret. And my friend who's coming next week, you would look at him and you wouldn't know they got a secret. He's going to be here with me tomorrow. We have a great time for you next week. I'll tell you about it later. But I'm telling you, 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 you wouldn't know our secret. <laughs> but you'd smell it. You wouldn't know where to put your finger on it, but you say, I don't know what that is. <laughs> something smelling here like something dead. Something's really dead in here. Can't put my hand on it, but I just had to leave that church because I don't know something about that guy. I don't know what that is. It's the way he looks at you. It's the way he, he, he And you ooze this. You begin to emit this. There's a, there's a price you pay. I told a story last night that when I first preached a sermon, it really touched me. And something I hadn't thought about. I, I never thought about it. 
because I, I didn't know it. Let me, let me just say something to, to you ladies that I, I think is, um, is really um, powerful. And this is real personal, what I'm going to tell you. I've, I've never said this publicly. This is the first time I said it was in this series. And um, I never repeat it again, but it, I think it makes the point. The greatest victim of bedroom blindness is women. You carry the babies. Most of the time you carry the diseases. Most of the time it's you. Men are victims too. Don't misunderstand me, guys. Economically, emotionally, you carry scars and you carry embarrassments. And that's all I think the devil wants to do is shame you anyway. I don't think he cares who you're with. He wants to give you the memory. He wants you to have the replay. He wants you to always be apologizing, always saying you're sorry, and always, always, always. That's the goal. It's to put you in a place of shame. That's all he wants. He wants you to hold your head down. He doesn't want you to be confident. It's all about that. He doesn't care about anything else. But what's really profound to me is how so many women have been disqualified from their full potential because of this issue. <laughs> I, um, I, I, something I, I didn't know. It was really amazing. I just learned it a few weeks ago, months ago. And I, you know, you, know how you, you learn these little family secrets, you know? Because when you get older, you start calculating, right? And then you ask these big questions and you start putting pieces together and you start learning stuff. And I only say this, and I want you to hear this, and I don't say this, and it's just take, take in the right spirit. And it's really hard for me to say, but I think it's important to say. I think it's going to help somebody. Because I want you ladies to understand how important it is for you to not be bedroom blind. My mother had me as a single parent in a moment of bedroom blindness. And I, I never fully understood that. I never understood. I never thought it through. You know, as a kid, you grow up as a single parent. You just don't think about it. You just kind of accept it and you kind of go with your life. My dad's a great guy. You know, I'm not trying to put him down. I'm just simply saying that that, that was my story in my life. That's my story in my life. But here's what I didn't know. Here's what I discovered just a few months ago. That she was in her second year of college. How, how many fingers did I say? Hold your fingers up. I want you to see fingers. She's second year. And then she had me. On school break, she goes and she ends up in a moment of bedroom blindness, and she asked me. Now, and is, what's amazing for me is here's the deal. I didn't even know she went to college. She never told me. I stumbled upon this. Honest to God, I was doing some research, and I stumbled upon this information. And so I picked up the phone. I, called, I said, college. And I picked up the phone, and I called, you know, you, you know the family member you can call, right? And I called him, and I said, did, did, did my mom go to college? He said, oh, yeah. I thought, she went, I thought she went to a private high school or something. No, she went to a college in South Carolina. I was stunned. And she never, ever told me she went to college. She never told me that she dropped out because of me. I didn't even know what she wanted to be. Never got to ask. All because of bedroom blindness. It can change your life. And I'm glad I'm here. It worked out. I 
don't say that to embarrass my mom who's gone on to be with the Lord. I say that only to make the point. My mom died in 1999, August of 1999. I, I'm not trying to embarrass her memory. I'm just making a point. I'm trying to help some lady understand me. I'm trying to help a young woman get this. I'm trying to help you see the light. I want you to be clear. I want you to see. She scrubbed floors so that I can stand here today. She paid a high price. There's something that you'll pay when you're bedroom blind. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not just trying to paint a picture so you can understand. This is not some series I'm preaching because I just want to say something and stop your fun. I'm trying to help you see you cross this boundary. You set yourself up to be an unblessable person. There's some things you will never have again. But you can make a decision today. Somebody sent me a great email. I love it. Women are just so honest. All right, Pastor, I'm bedroom blind. Thank you for the series. <laughs> what do I do now, dude? <laughs> I said, listen to tomorrow's sermon. And make a private commitment. Say to yourself, I'm going to not cross these boundaries. Just say to yourself, I mean this with all my heart. I'm not putting fire in my bosom. I know my limits. And I'm really clear. I'm really clear. I'm clear, clear, clear that the consequences aren't worth it. Until you come to that place, I can preach to you all day. And you'll never be free. I want to pray for you today. I want you right now to stand with me on your feet. What you miss from last night's sermon is the tears and the crying I did because it was the first time I told that story. really gather myself up here last night because um, I'd never told anybody that. I just found it out. It's one of those little family secrets you find out. And I um, thought it was so sad for a good person. Never reached their dreams. I'm glad to be alive, but you understand what I'm saying. Giving up, sister girl. You're giving up, you're giving up your life. If he loves you, he wouldn't ask you to do that. If she loved you, she wouldn't ask you to do that. Whoever wants me to pray for him, come on up here and pray. Come on. I'm gonna give you a chance. I want to pray for people. I don't know who this rider touches you. I don't know how it touches you. Just come on. Whoever wants me to pray for you. Come now. Please, please come. Don't, don't think about it. Just come, please. I'm waiting on you. Just come. I'm waiting on you to come. Doesn't mean anything. I'm not confessing anything. Some of you got family members. You got children. You got cousins. You got neighbors. You got people you know. You got people, man. You just, but you know, you say, no, I need, I, 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 this sermon has touched me in some way that makes me come. And don't bother people. Don't bother your spouse if they come. Don't think, don't assume something. They just, maybe their memory of the past, their, their thoughts way back in the day. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But you need to come. I, I felt I needed to open a door for people 
at the end of this to say, you know, pray for me, pray for me, just pray for me, pray for my kids. Some of you got bedroom blinded kids, man. You just don't know how in the world it's just dominated your family. It's wrecked things. You were abused by bedroom blinded people. If you were ever sexually abused, you were sexually abused by a bedroom blinded person. That's who abused you. And I promise you, many of them were bedroom blind themselves and abused themselves. They themselves are victims and they victimized you. God's able to heal you today. God's able to free you today. Why is this walk so important? Because it's a statement. It's crossing the boundaries. It's dropping off a chain. I wanted to give you time today in this service to just pray with me. Because see, some people really don't get it. You don't get free unless you want to be free. Sometimes for you, this laying down your shame and saying, forget it. I'm not, I'm not trying to pretend anymore. Let me tell you, I could have easily been up here in certain seasons of my life. Very easy. Very easy for anybody. 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 And as a, as a, as a, as a man of God, it's easy. It's so easy. You have so much access. You, you're all over the place. You're traveling. On. You can easily become blinded emotionally. Father, I pray for those who are here and those who want to be up on this altar. I pray for those who are home today, and I pray for your hand to touch them. I pray the Holy Spirit would bring healing to every heart and every mind. Everyone that's here, every individual who's struggling, every person, every individual who's standing here for somebody that they love, for their children, for their father, for their husband, for their wife, for their, for their neighbor. Lord God, I pray that you would touch them in Jesus' name. I pray for people who know their brothers and sisters are bedroom blinded. Their lives have been wrecked because of it. Their finances have been wrecked because of it. I pray this is a time of great healing and great deliverance. And may they say, I will not allow this to happen in my life. I'm not doing one and two anymore because I'm tired of three. Father, in Jesus' name, may they rise with faith and confidence and know that God's hands on their lives. And they will never, ever be the same. They will never, ever be the same. With every hand lifted, Father, we yield to you our bodies. We, live, we come to you, as Paul said in Romans 12, bringing our bodies to you as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto you, that my body is special, and how I manage it and how I respond to it speaks a lot to my spiritual commitment to you. You've done too much for me to be this casual. You've done too much for me to not really focus my heart and mind. And Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit today would heal hearts and heal minds. And for the first time in many people's lives, may they breathe a breath of freshness, a breath of fresh air, a breath of forgiveness and restoration. May they have the courage to put in place the things that will prevent this, the blocks on their computer, the courage to say, no, I can't do this, I can't do that, the courage to embrace people who inspire them, the honesty to say, you are a temptation to me that I cannot manage. And until I figure out how to manage this, I can't continue down this road. The courage to say to themselves, I want God's will for my life. In Jesus' name. I want to say one last thing to him that you go. Don and I were talking yesterday. I want you to look at me. I told Don, I said, you know, there are measurements of obedience. There's some people that are 20% obedient all their Christian life. And there's some that are 100. At certain seasons in my life, I've been 20, 30 in certain areas. You know, some people, when it comes to tithing, honoring God, they're 10%. They do it every now and then. There's some people, that when it comes to going to church, I mean, you, just, you, know, you stay home too much, some of you. 
I, I'm the pastor that doesn't even harass you by coming. Am I right about that? And, but you should come. You should make an effort to be here. I think that, you know, I'm not the guy who harasses you about money, but you should give. You should honor God. You know, I have to, you, you have to decide what percentage am I going to be. There are times I'm looking at a movie I want to go see. This is the truth. And I look at the movie, I look at the content, and I go, no, nah, Temple, you can't see that, man. As much as you want to see it, man, I'm going to be 100%. But some of you are compromised, you know, and you'll go in your spirit to get all filled with stuff. Some of the music you listen to, you know, it's the words don't say what I want to do. Why am I listening? I don't care about the beat. I don't want to. The, you were blank, 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 triple blank, triple blank, double blank, blank, blank. Okay, so that's what you are, bro? Is that you? Is that your future? I like good music too, but come on, man. Sing, sing stuff that you want to be. At some point in your life, you got to say, the percentage, and here's what I want to say, and I'm done. The results in your life are tied to those percentages. In your finances, you're 20%. In your sex life, you're 20%. You're 10%. Obedient. And on and on and on. And when you add it all up, that's why your families are messed up. When you add up all the family members' percentages, the average in the family is 20%. Obedience to God. So we got a 20% harvest. That's why we have the strife and attention because nobody's listening to God, what he said about love, forgiveness, all that kind of stuff. And so if you can back up and say, I don't want to be that way, that's how a church dies because if you add up all the members, see, we all add into the percentage. You add them all up, that's why you have problems. Fights and breakouts and all that. Kills the pastor, kills the members. It's terrible. Father, we lift our hands. We want to be 100 percenters in Jesus' name. Come on, hands up, people. We want to be all in, fully committed, fully committed, in Jesus' name. Now, I want to give you a word to say to somebody. You ready? But you got to say this in love. You know somebody in here that ain't doing right. This bedroom blind stuff applies. You know I don't know. You don't come tell me because I don't want to know all this. <laughs> tell you right now, don't come to me. I don't want to know. Don't write no emails about me. Let me report five people to you. I don't want you to. Don't tell me. If it's your cousin, you simply say, you know, you're lowering our percentages. You're taking our numbers down. You help each other. You become helpless one of another. You're dating somebody. Say, boy, you're trying to lower my percentage. You better get out of my house. <laughs> Take my numbers down. Because what's going to happen is, and you see it in families all the time, when you see bad results, look at, add them up. 10, 5, 4, 3, 2, that's why. What do you want? Lift your hands. I want God's best. Come on. Are you glad you came? Come on. I'm glad you came.